1954, we awakened something. There's nuclear tests in the Pacific, not tests. They are trying to kill it. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast's retrospective series covering the legendary entertainment MonsterVerse films. The return of an ancient and forgotten super species. Godzilla, the Mutos, Kong. Hosted by Jacob. Good thing he's on our side. Stuart. He's not part of the natural order. And Arnie. None of us have ever faced a situation quite like this one. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. You have no idea what's coming. And it is going to send us back to the Stone Age. Listener discretion is advised. Do you have everything you need? Good. Let's get started. Today we're discussing Godzilla. King of the Monsters, starring Kyle Chandler, Vera Farmiga, Millie Bobby Brown, Bradley Whitford, Sally Hawkins, Charles Dance, Ken Watanabe, and Zizi Zang, directed by Michael Doherty. This is Arnie, King of All Podcasters. And Stuart. And this is your court jester to the King of the Monsters, Jacob. Welcome back to the Monsterverse. Only a year, I think, since we were thinking we would be doing this show. <laughs> Another casualty of COVID. We are always diligent about our schedule and how much can we build up? How many weeks in a row can we do until the actual release? And we were past the point of no return on King Kong. We'd released the first few episodes and then Kong versus Godzilla moved and we're like, well, we'll just stop with Skull Island. And then it moved again, and then the world got sick. But now, HBO Max, I love you. <laughs> you can take my money because you're going to release stuff same day at home. I got Wonder Woman that way. I am so looking forward to seeing this that way, too. Although, supposedly, it's in theaters, if you can find them open. But my point is, it's been a while since we've looked at this universe. Not to mention that first Godzilla movie, which was... God, seven years ago. I defy you, right now, without looking at your phone. Either one of you tell me what a Mudo stands for? Nope. I just know the name, and I just rewatched that film in preparation of this one. I still can't tell you. I rewatched it, and I've listened to our podcast, and, I mean, we did Skull Island, so it was... Monster something something. Multi-something something organism. Terrestrial organism. <laughs> All right, you get two points, Arnie. Massive, unidentified terrestrial organism. Okay. Look, I recommended that first movie, and I do not remember. It just had no staying power. And so that's a problem, right? You got a franchise. You're trying to world build. These are pop culture characters everyone should know. And yet, from movie to movie, yeah, I don't remember what happened. Yeah, did you go back and watch it? I did. But five years in between those two movies says nobody was chomping at the bit for the sequel. When your only carryover character is played by Ken Watanabe, obviously people weren't clamoring for Alien Taylor Johnson's return as the not-a-bomb diffuser. Come on, Sally Hawkins returned. She had an Oscar, didn't she, for Shape of Water since then? Mm-hmm. She's barely in this, but she's here. If you're a big Sally Hawkins fan, here's a movie for you. <laughs> it's a franchise searching for continuity. And yes, we're at the third installment with the third director. Michael Dougherty is taking over for Gareth Edwards. Maybe Gareth was after Rogue One thinking he was too good for the Godzilla franchise. Or maybe they were looking for a new direction. I tend to think maybe a little of both. 
Dougherty is a huge, huge fan of this. I watched all the bonus features on this disc, and he produced a childhood illustrated Bible in which he drew Godzilla every time like God was written in the Bible. And his that's both <laughs> blasphemous and awesome. It is pretty awesome, yeah. And I, I think he's loved this character as long as he's been alive. And I think just his enthusiasm enough would get him the job. But he had also had genre hits with Trick R Treat. That's the one with the little Samhain mass character. And the one I've seen, which stars another giant, I guess, monster, Krampus. A Christmas horror film? I don't know if you guys have seen that one. I didn't like it as much as I wanted to. I turned it off after halfway. It seems to have a much bigger following than it deserves, but it was all right. It seems like Dougherty could be our next Tim Burton. He takes gleeful joy in being both childish and macabre. And I think that, yeah, if he wants to come into this franchise, we could look for something a little bit more like Tim Burton and a little bit less Kubrickian, which... You know, Edwards just was just very serious. I'll appreciate the fact that he wiped away the stink of the Roland Emmerich Godzilla. <laughs> I think that there was a sense that he hadn't quite cracked the formula on how these movies should go. And I want to say serious isn't always a bad way to go. In between Godzilla 2014 and King of the Monsters in 2019, in Japan, they did release Shin Godzilla, which won the equivalent of the Academy Award over there for Best Picture. Hmm. And it is amazing. It's probably my favorite Godzilla. And it's more or less a procedural. There's no protagonist in it. It's a reboot of the Godzilla franchise when he first shows up in Japan. And it's about bureaucracy and like, how do we deal with this? And sometimes it veers off into like strange love territory and it's kind of funny and Kind of like the Andromeda Stray, but with Godzilla. Like, how do we contain this giant monster? And it's really good, and it's more or less pretty serious. There's not a whole lot of tongue-in-cheek, even though I, I found some humorous parts in it, but really good. I'll have to seek that one out. That sounds great. Yeah, my wife watched it and loved it, too. I gotta say, Serious was not the way to go. I rewatched Gareth Edwards' film. I'm shocked that I recommended it as strongly as I did. I think we were all excited for Godzilla, or at least I know I was, because, yeah, I rewatched it, and I'm like, hmm, it's kind of boring, not a whole lot of Godzilla. Yeah, and that was the review, and then we all got so excited at the end when the Mudo fight finally came, and I'm like, was that really enough for all of us to recommend it? Now, I'd probably give it a weak recommend, but it w it, my esteem of it has dropped precipitously since 2014. I saw it last year when we were doing the Kong stuff and in the lead up to Skull Island. That's when I rewatched it. And honestly, I half watched it because I didn't have to take notes and everything. I found my attention drifting to phones and cleaning rooms and same experience, Stuart. Same experience when I rewatched it just a few days ago. Yeah, not compelling. Okay, so it wasn't just me. I'm listening to our review to be like, what really happened? And you know, because we were doing King Kong and building up to King of the Monsters last year, I started watching all, it's called the Showa era of Godzilla films. If you're familiar with Criterion, they put out for their 1000 release, like 15 Showa era Godzilla films. Like I watched all those during lockdown when I'm stuck at home. And, mm. and so I definitely have opinions like, yeah, about serious versus goofy. Cause those are, after that first one, they go more or less pretty goofy. Well, maybe we should have done a Godzilla retrospective, but God knows the years it would take to really do that. Would Mothra and Rodan, they have their own films. Would they be part of that? They would have to be, right? So we we took a shortcut. We focused on Kong, but now we're coming back for our second Godzilla review. And one that I've got to say already had a dark little cloud around it. Because Arnie, you and I don't often go to the movies except when we're working on the show. But you and I took a field trip. We go. We just don't go together. 
Yeah. Normally, like, if I'm sitting next to you, we've got notepads and we got a show to tape the next hour or, or the next day. And we just did this for fun. I think we knew that we wanted to see the movie. We would eventually cover the movie. And we wanted to see it on IMAX. But I also think that we were just looking to have a good time. And memory says we didn't back in May 2019. Exactly. I was excited by the trailers, you know, when you got that line, Godzilla's going to be our pet. No. We would be his. The trailers made this look good. You were bringing back some of the classic monsters to it. We weren't just going to have Cloverfield ripoff Mudos. I wanted to see this. I knew we were waiting to review it until King Kong vs. Godzilla, theoretically just a few months later. But I wanted to see this, and so yeah, we were there. And I remember like halfway through thinking, is he liking this? Because, hmm... I saw it as well. I waited till it was out for home viewing because, I don't know, it's hard to get out to the movies all the time and you probably were doing Endgame or something around that time. But yeah, about halfway through, Arnie, you're wondering if you were enjoying it or not. I'm wondering um, how tired I must be because I fell asleep during it. (laughs) I got a nice little 20, 30 minute nap in the middle of this one. Like, that is my primary memory of this film is that uh, it bored me and I fell asleep. Okay, see, Jacob, you're my test then, because I was willing to give that experience a pass. It had come out in the shadow of Avengers Endgame. It had been a month, but like I feel like so much of the world was rallying around Marvel, 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 to have this movie come out and try to emulate that same kind of epic feel, but with what used to be characters in rubber suits. Maybe nothing could top what we had just seen, and so deflated expectations. But you saw it months and months later, and same reaction. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it. Now, watching it this time, I did stay awake for this review, (laughs) so I've seen it all. But yeah, definitely verified some of the opinions that I remembered having from my half-viewing of it the first time. So listeners, no mystery about the arrows. (laughs) I don't know. I I watched it all this time. It could have changed. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that there's always the potential. No matter what we've said about a movie, our thoughts about it could change with time. I mean, they've definitely changed about that 2014 one. We're all kind of like, eh. That fight at the end is cool, but it is a really long slog to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that I'm wrong. And sort of to prep for that, I was like, I need to get in a mood because I love Godzilla. I grew up watching those films. Now, you know, uncritically as a child, Saturday morning, but I wanted to recapture that feel. And so to get me inspired, my brother was actually coming for a visit. It was the first time since COVID. We hadn't seen him in a year. I'm like, let's break out the Godzilla board game. Just came out. It's not a tie into the movie. There's a board game? Yeah, no, it's like I was really excited. You mean that me and my family can beat on each other and destroy Tokyo? (laughs) Sold. Think it's like Rampage? Do you get to put on those big foam punching mitts that they came out with for like Hulk? (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem. I thought it would be like Rock'em Sock'em Robots, like the box said for ages 10 and older. So I'm thinking like, yeah, the family is going to like be going at it on a twister mat. Let me tell you what I actually would think this is. Since it's a multiplayer game, my thought would be you are townspeople running from Godzilla, rolling dice to see how many you can move and kind of like Monopoly with a monster coming behind trying to eat you. Not at all. Okay. That would be a mistake. You're right. You might be tempted to do that because that would maybe be easier gameplay. But come on, you got to be the monster. Here's my guess. Mousetrap, but you're building a trap to get Godzilla? (laughs) No, no. You got to be the monster. Mom was Mothra. My brother was Godzilla. So, yeah, I'm frustrated with this game because it's not unlike this movie. Like, even though I want to get into the primal childhood love of destruction, 
it's kind of adult and hard to too sophisticated. It's basically D and D. And so, yeah, there's lots of hit points and moving. We were like halfway into the game before we realized that no matter how many buildings we knocked down, it wasn't going to help us. And so we had we had been just destroying Tokyo at random and thinking, we and it, we have to be beating on each other. So it's like D&D. Do you get to decide if Godzilla is going to be a thief or a bard or a warrior? <laughs> It was hard to keep track. Everyone has their own special powers. I wanted to play Ghidra because he's yes. like my personal favorite. Plus, my brother's Godzilla. Of course, <laughs> I'm going to like take him down with that. But they were like, don't even try it. If this is your first game, please put that one back in the box because like each head has its own hit points. And Wow. But I ended up being Megadon, which who the hell is that? Even I don't remember him. Who is Megadon? I don't know that one. <laughs> Is he a woolly mammoth or that's a mastodon? He's not even in this movie. He is some guy with a cone head. He looks like a Zippy the Pinhead. It was really a lame one. Come on, pick Mechagodzilla or something. I will say this. Funko did design the game and all the pieces are really beautiful. Do they all look like Funko Pops? None of them do, actually. They look like themselves. Okay. But they're cutified versions. I've seen Funko's games. I don't know that Ghidra looks that cute. (laughs) Just too hard to play. Certainly too hard for a 10-year-old child. If it tells you anything, mom won. <laughs> like, okay, my 80-year-old mother won the game. It's not because she loves d and I'm here to tell you. Who was she, Mothra? Yeah. The f- moth took down us. Hey, you watch it with Mothra, one of my favorites. Mothra! You have to save Mothra! <laughs> to be fair, actually, everyone dies. They have an oxygen depleter that's going off. You have only so many rounds to beat on each other, and as many hides as you take off each other, that's how you really win. But it requires a lot of strategy. It's a war game. And yes, there are humans moving around in tanks and planes, and even UFOs come down. But keeping track of all of that was just... On a first play, I don't know. I loved the idea of it, and they captured a lot of the spirit of the characters, but not easy to learn, and not easy, not didn't give me the, the thrill that I was looking for. Well, I did some extra homework, too. I read a comic. There was a, an official prequel comic, Godzilla Aftershocks, that came out before this film, and it does really fit in between 2014 Godzilla and this one real nicely, like picking up right after that one left off, and then you get to the main monster that Godzilla fights. Those MUTOs that we don't even remember what the acronym is for, MUTO Prime shows up, and if you remember in that 2014 movie when they found those two muto eggs in the philippines there was like a big skeleton around there in that cavern Mm -hmm. so this gets into this muto prime what it would do like this is way bigger than the ones we saw in that first film it's the one that lays eggs and basically it laid eggs into an more ancient godzilla and those are the ones that we saw hatch in that 2014 movie and that skeleton was this is implying a very very old other Godzilla, or whatever species that is. But I think the main purpose of this comic, it introduces Emma and Alan Jonah, who I guess is kind of the bad guy in in this 2019 movie we'll talk about, but it's introducing them, and I guess the big takeaways are it shows you an early version of the Orca device that we'll be talking about, this thing that uses sonic frequencies that Emma kind of like learns about that technology and builds one and is able to help Godzilla defeat Muto Prime, who in that fight, Godzilla does get all his dorsal fins, all those spines on his back smashed. So I guess that's why they look different in this movie. But Godzilla looks different in every movie. (laughs) Godzilla is in the comic book then. I wondered, sometimes those fill-in-the-blanks kinds of materials they put out, spend all their time on interstitial characters and never on the people you want to see. 
Like Alien versus Predator. <laughs> yeah, this is a lot of Emma running around trying to, to figure out this whole audio frequency thing that we'll talk about when we get into this film. But yeah, Godzilla throughout is fighting Muto Prime, and it, the whole thing is if he loses, eggs will be planted into his carcass, and, and more Mutos will be born. And, and so it, how can Emma help Godzilla defeat this Muto Prime monster? Did nobody tell the comic book artist we're not using Muto anymore? That's an outdated term. Politically incorrect. They do give Muto Prime like three or four different names. He has a Japanese name. They call him the Dragon Beetle. Like, he does have some nicknames. Yeah. No, they treat Muto like a racial epitaph. They're titans now. Titans. Yes. (laughs) Well, Arnie, let's get into it. Tell us why Godzilla is king of the monsters. It's been five years since Godzilla came from the ocean to protect humans from two mating Mutos. Now the monarch group, headed by Dr. Ishiro Serizawa, played by Ken Watanabe, and Dr. Vivian Graham, played by Sally Hawkins, track 17 known mutos across the globe, from Skull Island to Antarctica. Take a drink every time Skull Island pops on the screen or is set. It happens a lot. I did not pick up on that the first time I watched this, but getting ready for what we're building up to. Oh boy. One of the Titans is ready to hatch, and there to witness the birth is monarch scientist Dr. Emma Russell, played by Vera Farmiga. Inexplicably, she brought her teenage daughter to this dangerous lab. That daughter is Madison, played by Millie Bobby Brown. Emma has a device called the Orca, which emits sound frequencies that make Mudos think they're facing an alpha predator, not a human-sized morsel of snack. With the Orca, Emma is able to subdue the new Mudo, who is Mothra in grub form. But then a group of eco-terrorists break into the facility. They are led by Alan Jonah, played by Charles Dance. Alan and his group feel humans are killing the planet, and by releasing the Mudos, the human population will decrease to the point where the planet is sustainable. Emma has colluded with Alan, and she and her daughter Madison go with the eco-terrorists to release Mudos worldwide. The leaders at Monarch don't believe Emma would have turned traitor, so they think she's been kidnapped. They reach out to Emma's ex-husband, Madison's father, and ex-Monarch scientist Dr. Mark Russell, played by Kyle Chandler. Mark rejoins Monarch on this mission to save his ex-wife and daughter. Emma and the terrorists go to Antarctica and release the three-headed Mudo known as Monster Zero. But Zero isn't an ordinary Mudo. The Monarch scientists discover he's actually King Ghidorah, a prehistoric alien. Being from outer space, Monster Zero is the most powerful creature on Earth. He defeats Godzilla in a battle. When Emma releases another Mudo, called Rodan, Monster Zero beats him easily. The army has long wanted to kill the Mudos, and with this new danger that they pose, the U.S. Army sends in its oxygen destroyer missile that should kill all the Mutos. While Godzilla takes near-fatal wounds from the bomb, Monster Zero is unharmed and emits a signal that releases all 14 remaining Mudos everywhere on Earth. Godzilla goes back home, and who knew he had one, but a highly radioactive underwater haven near Bermuda. He likes warm weather. The Monarch team realize radiation heals Godzilla, so to speed up the process, Dr. Sirizawa sacrifices himself, detonating a nuclear bomb, which not only heals Godzilla to full strength, but makes him supercharged. Mothra, now a full moth, teams up with Godzilla to go fight the Mudo army. But while we wait for a monster mash, we have to divert attention to Teenage Madison. Tired of her parents fighting, she runs away back to their home in Boston, taking the Orca machine with her. Using the Orca, Madison accidentally calls all the Titans to her location. Emma abandons the eco-terrorists and teams up with her ex-husband to save their daughter. But now it's time for the epic monster brawl in Boston. 
Rodan fights Mothra, and Mothra gets a narrow victory. Godzilla fights Monster Zero and loses, and Mothra sacrifices herself to save Godzilla's life. Mark and Emma get to Boston and rescue Madison, but Emma has to sacrifice herself to save Godzilla. She uses the Orca to distract Monster Zero while Mark and Emma escape. Godzilla uses this distraction to kill Monster Zero. All the other monsters bow to Godzilla, King of the Monsters, as credits roll. To an end credits stinger where we see Jonah and his eco-terrorist group, remember them? Well, they're alive and well and recovering a dismembered Monster Zero head, and the movie fades to black. So just off the bat, how pissed, just generally pissed, does every single person at Warner Brothers has to be, Legendary Pictures, when they're full production on this, everything's green lit, and then... Infinity War comes out, and Thanos wants to kill half the population to save the Earth. Or save the galaxy, I guess. This movie would come out a year later, but they were working on it long before they knew what Infinity War was going to be. I'm confused. What are you saying? That I'm saying that all the impact of the, oh my god, what a twisted but genius plan to kill half the population on Earth to stop pollution. Kingsman did it, and then... Thanos did it and broke box office records. Somebody has to be a little upset that the whole eco-terrorist plot is Thanos' plot. I mean, it's a plot going way back before Thanos. I mean, I've seen this in bad 80s and 90s action films about eco-terrorist. No, I think they're always happy for you to confuse it with Marvel. <laughs> we had Wanda and Quicksilver in the first movie and Loki and Captain Marvel in the Skull Island. And Nick Fury. They probably didn't mind at all. They're like, oh, good. More Marvel coyotes. That's true. There's no Marvel stars in here. Yeah, now we just got Stranger Things, because I guess that was popular at the time. And when we start, we're going to flash back to San Francisco. Jacob, you mentioned it. I would have never noticed. But behind the scenes, they were really worried that Michael Dougherty was tweaking the look. And that his Godzilla, he's a little bit taller and... I mean, they had to point it out, like, in super detail before I could figure it out. His scales are larger. They look more like the rubber suit Godzilla. The original one, yeah, from the 50s. Yeah. I remember when the 2014 one came out and everybody was saying Godzilla was a chunky boy, to use online doggo terminology. So I think they made him stand straighter, a little bit more streamlined. He looks scarier to you? I don't know. I mean, he more or less looks the same. Yeah, he doesn't look any different to me. But again, I'm the wrong person to point out these kind of details. Like, there's all these videos you can find on YouTube. Like, every change in Stormtrooper armor from film to film. Like, I can tell the difference between a clone and a Stormtrooper. But there's some real minute things that people get into. And I've watched videos on YouTube about all the different versions of Godzilla. Sometimes he has little ears. Sometimes his teeth are a little bit bigger. But, like, I'm glad other people are doing that because it usually goes pretty unnoticed by me. One thing I did not know when we watched that 2014, and maybe they did, maybe they didn't, my assumption was it was a CGI Godzilla. Not quite here. In this version, it was very important for Dougherty to use motion capture suits. He wanted to have actors play the Titans. So to get the facial reactions, they have balls on their faces. That's cool. I like that. 
I wonder how much he took from Shin Godzilla because that one, when you watch it, at times it looks CGI, at times it looks practical. Apparently, they actually like scanned the suit they wanted to use and used motion capture, and it's a lot more CGI than you'd think. So it feels like he was taking a page from that, yeah, to try to bring real motion back into it. Yeah, Dougherty said he had two jobs, and I think he was knocking the 2014 movie when he said it. I want these Titans to have more personality. And I want the people to get into the fight more. I want them to be able to have tech that allows them, if not quite like Pacific Rim, be a formidable force against these giant monsters. He got half of it successful. Which half? The monsters have more personality. The people, yeah, they try to be more involved. I'll admit they try, but... I don't feel like the humans are ever a player. Really? I feel like both are successful. Yeah, I feel like this is a step back to Roland Emmerich. There are so many people, like you said, some of them starring in this movie, Arnie, but they didn't even get a mention in your plot summary, which I don't blame you. And then there's other characters that weren't mentioned in the subplot and didn't get a name mentioned at the beginning of this show. There's a big cast, but I don't I don't know. It doesn't feel like an Emmerich film where they each have their own subplot. The problem is Bradley Whitford is very enjoyable in this film, but he doesn't actually do anything. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll talk about supporting. I'm talking about our our leads here, that they're going to do a mirroring job. The fights that these monsters have with each other is going to mirror a fight within a human family. We're going to see in 2014, when Godzilla stormed through San Francisco, he broke up the Russells. He killed baby Andrew. And now it's really driven this wedge so that when Mama and Papa fight Vera Famiga and Kyle Chandler, it will kind of feel like Ghidra versus Godzilla. Will it? I mean... Yeah. I didn't think it felt that way. I, I wouldn't be that enthusiastic about saying that. <laughs> no, I didn't give a shit about this family. I really didn't, this movie. I'm not saying you're going to care. You might not care about Godzilla versus Ghidra. I'm saying the screenwriters have clearly mirrored the drawn parallels, big, bold lines saying that the way that we're going to care about the human drama is have it absolutely mirror what's going on with the big guys. They do that more than they did in either of the previous MonsterVerse movies. When we start here, Dad is out of the picture. It's 2019. We have him sending pathetic emails to his daughter, begging her to look at their fishing trips from long ago and to tell him what's going on. Millie Bobby Brown. Man, I watched like half a season of Stranger Things, but she looks a lot older here than I remember her being. I think you're discounting the effect of hair. Like, I really think that... <laughs> Without the shaved head, she's gained a few years. I never thought of Stranger Things because she just didn't look like that character. But yes, Dad wants her attention, and so does Mom. We see that Vera Farmiga is packing a suitcase. She's got something that looks like a bomb uh, that she's putting into a monarch steel case and saying, I finally fixed it. And because of this opening, the way that this is introduced, I'm immediately suspicious because it does look like a bomb. And so even the first time we watched this in theaters, I'm like, you know, Vera Farmiga, I never quite trusted her before the twist was revealed. And also, I referenced it in the plot summary, but you're going to go see a Mudo hatch. Mudo's killed your son. Let's take our daughter to the hatching. 
Not only that, but Madison is trying to write back to Dad and saying she's concerned about Mom. So I think we're to have it present of mind that Mom is not in a great headspace. That the reason why the lack of communication has happened is because she's off doing something devious. I don't know that it's that much of a secret. Jacob, where were you on it? Because I thought it was supposed to be, like, a surprise to take you into the second act. They play it all up like she's going to be kidnapped. Yeah, I mean, the first time I watched this... I just assumed she was a Marnark employee and that what happens to her, I mean, until the twist gets revealed, I didn't catch on that something nefarious was happening. I just thought she was a Monarch employee. I didn't read anything into the case. It's just a piece of equipment. I didn't think it was a bomb or anything. Well, we'll see it in use in the next scene. She's being called to Monarch base number 61 in the Chinese rainforest. So many bases we go to in this film. They say there's only like 17 Mudo, but like they have 65 bases. Like seems like overkill. I mean, these are big monsters. <laughs> Three bases per Titan? They can move around a lot, I guess. I guess. <laughs> and we're going to start with the friendly one, too, right? We got to start with Mothra. We got to build up to the scary. Yeah, Mothra's awesome. Like, I love it when you walk into this cave. You do see the carvings on the wall here in this underground cavern in China. And I'm like, ah, yes, Mothra. And, and we're going to see the big larvae state that it's in at this point. Here's the thing about Mothra is uh, my understanding was culturally moths are as frightening to Japanese people as spiders are to Westerners. That they're common. They're found in the household a lot. And people just freak out when they see them. They really are. They're seen as very scary in that culture. So to have a giant one would be even worse. But here we just don't have that association. I think at least the way that Dougherty describes it, maybe this is revisionist history. We're to always have seen Mothra as the good guy, or I should say the good girl. She has always been female and she has always represented ecology and mother nature. Yeah, I definitely remember from watching those movies as a kid, and I think MST3K might have done one or two, but there were like a couple of pixie twins that would appear, and they were speaking with Mothra and helping Mothra help humans. Yeah, we're going to see them. Yeah, if you go back to the original Mothra film, and I highly recommend it, it is good as the best Godzilla films, that original Mothra one, but basically there's this little island where, you know, doing nuclear testing on and, you know, things got mutated and the natives there, yeah, there's this giant egg with these two little pixies that like will sing to it and that is their protector mothra is a good girl in the godzilla films whether she's fighting godzilla when he's a bad guy in the movies or teaming up with him regardless i'm not worried for anybody when this cocoon starts lurching and spurting out a, a giant creature i know that this is just the warm-up back the opening number to the monster show I didn't remember that we started with Mothra this time. When Amudo hatches and starts going after people, I'm thinking it's going to kill as many as it can. Then it starts webbing them up like Spider-Man, and we never really find out for sure if those who get webbed live or die. Did it, like, cut off their airways? It looked like a lot of webbing, but it wasn't munching down. Someone got ate. Yeah, I guess we did see one person hop in the mouth, but... Mostly it was shooting disgusting webbing. Yeah, I think it's shooting silk because it's a caterpillar that's going to turn into a moth. My problem is I can't really see what's going on. Everything's this muddy shade of red in this scene. And it's very frustrating because, look, do I need this to be people in rubber suits? No, I don't need it to go that campy. But I want to see giant monsters do crazy giant monster things. And this muddy redness over this scene, it's not very clear. It's not very even pretty to look at. Not my issue. 
I'll agree that it was hard to see Baby Mothra here, but my big problem is when you've got a Mudo going nuts, again, if your big motivating factor is you lost your son, he died, your daughter is there, are you going to run out onto a gantry with a machine? I mean, I guess she's gone nuts and she's joined with eco-terrorists and had to prove it worked, but it didn't seem like you'd have to get so close within spitting slash biting range in order to do it. I mean, later we're going to see that this device works from across the globe. In Boston, it's going to call everyone from around the world, and here she has to get within, what, five meters of the larva? I understand your complaints. This is a Godzilla film, so I give it a lot of leeway to be silly, to have crazy gimmies to move the plot along, because that's how the best Godzilla ones go. Like, they're kind of just silly and have plots that probably aren't the most believable. I understand your concerns, Arnie. I'm just, it's not bothering me, this film. Actually, the more they could pull away from realism, maybe the better. I would also say that this device, it's coming through the internal speakers, which we all know is crap, (laughs) right? So, like, later it'll be hooked up to the Fenway Park sound system. So that's the only explanation I can give you, Arnie. But they were very excited about all the tech. Again, Dougherty's, one of his main concerns was, how do we allow humans to interact with these things in ways that are more satisfying than Aaron Taylor Johnson, just sort of always popping up, you know, at the right time to witness an attack. And so here, he described it as a DJ turntable. I couldn't actually stop thinking of Vera Farmiga, like, at a rave after he said that either. But (laughs) she's kind of DJing uh, control with this beast. I wonder if they used his notes for the comic then, because the proto-orca that they build in there, she's got, like, a kid's keyboard hooked up to some speakers, and it's real homemade looking. It's kind of fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they pull back from it in this scene, but yes, there are lots of behind-the-scenes features to show you all the tech and designs. There was a whole book of art that came out, and I'll just say, I I heard you complain about it, but I feel like the visual aesthetic of this movie is unassailable. I have no complaints about how anything looks. Oh, okay. I'll just get it out of the way now, then. I think this film is ugly-looking. It's either muddy blues or muddy reds. Take the filters off. Let me see the goddamn color palette. I don't know if they put these shades on there so it feels gritty and realistic. I find it annoying, and I want to see monsters punch each other. I come down the middle. I agree with you, Jacob, that everything does seem to be of a specific color, and so much of this movie is going to take place in a rainstorm that it's going to all be dark blues and browns, but outside of this one scene where I feel like I never get a good look at the larva, I'm seeing okay. I'm getting the experience. When the monsters show up, I don't feel like the last one where I feel like I'm being blue-balled by the glory shots. So, no, I don't have that problem overall. Yeah, you get fights in this one. I agree with that. This is also where we get our entrance of the eco-terrorist, Alan Jonah. You're right, where I think, to suspect that he is our bad guy, or at least not in cahoots with our mother character here. Charles Dance, I mean, is he ever a good guy anymore? No, my dear brother Noopsie is going to be up to some bad, but it's debatable. As we see this whole environmental discussion unfold, I think that you could probably take the tack that they have a point. And maybe the only problem with their method is that they did barge in here gunning every scientist down. That gets sort of eclipsed. We don't see any close-ups of machine guns, bullet holes, or what have you. But like the nerdy little funny guy that was also in the scene, totally riddled with bullets. You would think that even Emma would have a problem with that method of coming in here and taking the Orca device away. 
they played it interestingly where I wasn't sure if everybody died or if they might have left them alive and just taken Emma and the rest of it. I mean, do they have security cameras that's telling them it's Alan or is somebody there? They kind of play that mysteriously because, yes, Emma later on is suddenly going to have a problem when she actually sees the cost of taking human life. So, yes, I would think she'd have a problem with gunning down her co-workers. And I'm also going to just point out there, I don't think it's really clear in this cut, but there are deleted scenes that indicate that the screenwriters felt Madison was in on this as well. She knew that it would happen, and she more or less is picking mom over dad. I mean, that does become apparent later on that Madison knew what was going on the whole time. Yeah, which again, would she really be fine with this? Again, it's just dramatic because we think, oh my God, they've fallen into the hands of terrorists. They wanted to make it spectacular. Maybe you're right, Arnie. Maybe no one died. I certainly didn't see anyone die, but I just assumed that the way they cut around was just to hide the R-rated violence for a PG-13 film. I had trouble figuring out how much Madison knew and when. I mean, she's never seeming to be like, yeah, mom, hit that trigger. Yeah, I'll talk about the deleted scene when it comes up, but there is a moment when we do know those limits, not in the final cut. Meanwhile, we're going to go get dead, or rather, we're going to go see the Monarch team go get dead. And this is where we get our two returning characters from 2014's Godzilla, Ken Watanabe, Sally Hawkins, the scientist that, I don't know, he's got a watch that doesn't work anymore, and she shuffled papers. I don't know. It's been so long since I've seen the film. I don't really remember that they were in it. They were in that original one much more than this one, especially Sally Hawkins is barely in this one. Having just rewatched it, he was kind of like the person explaining everything to Aaron Taylor Johnson. You know, he was Mr. Exposition. Again, I saw the movie a year ago, and I don't remember him in it, but... Are you excited to see them? Are you excited to see any carryover? Would you have preferred if it was Kick-Ass and Wanda carrying on instead of this family going through divorce? No, I don't want them back. They were the worst part of the last movie and they were the stars. Yeah, I'll, I'll say that Godzilla films, you never want the same humans returning. That That's just not what a Godzilla film is. I'm glad Ken Watanabe's coming back because I like him as an actor. But again, these characters never do a whole lot. So I don't know what to get excited over. I mean, I think if one thing that they're representing, it's Eastern and Western fans of Godzilla, right? Here's a Japanese man that's going to explain to a U.S. Senate committee that just can't understand why we have monarch seemingly protecting giant monsters. Don't call them Mudos, call them Titans. And he's the one that is saying it's our fault. Environmental recklessness. Well, he's not even saying to call them Titans. They're just animals that want to coexist with us, except we'll be their pets. Yeah, strip mining, nuclear testing, seismic surveys. The movie is going to put it all on us. If we have a problem with giant monsters coming out of the ground, we did this. Which was the theme of that original 1954 Godzilla. Yeah, exactly. In many ways that I didn't remember seeing this in theaters, they do honor the original Godzilla films. Oh yeah, we'll have the Oxygen Destroyer coming back from that original film. And they want some comedy. I mean, I think that they realized maybe the lack of it in that first one. Thomas Middleditch is the star of Silicon Valley and has done some, I think, Verizon or some kind of cell service series of phone commercials. He just doesn't have a whole lot of time to charm here in his Senate performance. 
No, and this stuff I kind of usually like in movies where you get a group facing off against the government. Aviator, my favorite stuff is those Senate hearings. Like, I don't know, just a weird thing I enjoy seeing in films. But yeah, they don't get to have a lot of fun here. You know, I'm thinking of like Iron Man 2 with all that great stuff going on during the hearings here. Yeah, it's to drop some exposition and then move on. Yeah, I liked seeing CCH Pounder here. I liked her a lot back on ER. I hadn't seen her act in a while. I hope you didn't blink. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I thought she'd have a bigger part, but no, she is here and she's like, this is not over as they're just leaving the room and forgetting about the hearing entirely. Yeah. She had about as much time in a hearing this film as Jeff Goldblum did in uh, Jurassic World 2. (laughs) No, I think the point is really to show off this team of scientists, there are stars, when you don't count the family in the middle, there are voices of reason, and they should be someone that we enjoy unfolding the mystery. They're going to collect Dr. Mark Russell, Kyle Chandler, who, should be noted, is the only person here who has actually faced off with King Kong before. Yes. That Peter Jackson movie, he was the arrogant actor. I did see that when I was looking up the actors here. I didn't really remember him that well, but yeah, he got the other King Kong film. Not only that, but he fought the alien in Super 8 as well. So he's well-versed in Mudos, Titans, Kaiju, and the like. Blatantly heroic, but then again, no more so than Aaron Taylor Johnson or Tom Hiddleston. He's fine if we need a virile leading man trying to put his family back together after running away from the death of his child. So they're going to bring him to Castle Bravo, another monarch base, which is built specifically to track Godzilla. They know where he's at, and they go under the Bermuda Islands, maybe the Bermuda Triangle, to follow his movements. That's definitely what I was thinking. We'll we'll see things disappear in the Bermuda. Yeah, this is the reason why they get eaten by Godzilla, I guess. He's hanging down, he's having a Bahama (laughs) Mama, (laughs) eating a swimmer every once in a while. They got to Godzilla early this film, which was good. I mean, after the Muto for an hour of the first film, it was nice to see Godzilla is on their mind. You know, swimming around. That's about all you'll see him do. It's kind of a tease, Arnie. It's not like a full on, like, I mean, we just, they open the shields and they see something in the dark. We mostly see the back scales glowing. We don't really get a a full body shot, as it were. But yes, they're reminding you that the big guy is very much alive and looking for that device. Just like Mothra, he can hear those signals going out from Emma's orca machine And he is going to follow it all the way to Antarctica. Yeah, Antarctica, I'm agreeing with Mark. Good, get the monsters out of here, not realizing that the eco-terrorists are already down there to release the three-headed Monster Zero. It's also very Lovecraftian. If you ever read In the Mountains of Madness, all of our gods are evil, and they're all buried under ice in Antarctica. So, like, I do feel like they're going for... Again, it wouldn't be my direction for taking the Godzilla franchise, but horror and ominous, somber, scary adult tone. Yeah, but I like that they keep Monster Zero's origins from those original films because he is an alien. And yeah, it does feel Lovecrafty. And he just goes from world to world, destroying them until he gets to ours and has to fight Godzilla. Like, I do like that they're keeping some of the goofier things like alien kaiju coming to Earth in this film. We don't know that yet, no. but yes, that is, that's the one thing I remember it about Ghidorah is that, like, there's a whole movie where some, like, funky 
spacemen with like funny sunglasses like hijack him and Godzilla. Yeah, the aliens hang out with him in one of the films, but I love his sound design. Like it really does feel like he's the antithesis to Godzilla in those original films because, you know, Godzilla has such an iconic roar and I think they gave Ghidorah one too. They don't really do it in this one, but there's a lot of things from the original take that I do like and it's fun to see some of that stuff get retained here. Ghidorah is the biggest one. Yeah. I didn't realize that, but the, in the bonus features, they outline him as over 500 feet. Godzilla is under 400 feet. So there's a considerable size difference. Because of the three heads and the way they move around, like snakes being charmed by a snake charmer. And I got the impression that Monster Zero was a lot bigger, but I didn't get exactly that he was towering over him. Well, with those heads, you, you talk about trying to give these monsters personality. I feel like this is the one monster they did give personality because those heads, they, they're communicating with each other, like snapping at each other. There's fun watching these three heads and, and how they interact with each other. I agree. It was like Moe, Curly, and Larry. <laughs> that was actually the reference they used on the commentary. I'm like, wow. no one's going to get that, but you guys <laughs> did. Okay. Three Stooges is what they wanted you to feel when you saw them. Yeah, well, the way one kind of bit at the other it reminded me of Mo hitting Curly on the head. And <laughs> so I did get that. I didn't see it. How funny. I wish I did see more humor here. Yeah, because this movie is <laughs> awful looking, Stuart. That's why you didn't notice it. it. I don't agree. I think this is when we get this scene, and it's taken a little while to get here, but when we get this showdown, I mean, it is a kaiju lover's wet dream. This is everything you could have ever wanted it to look like. This is so epic. They did a lot with previs. I think they made the whole movie in <laughs> Minecraft before they ever shot a frame of footage. They had these computer programs to, to show the suits. Look, it's going to look cool. It's going to be better than the 2014 movie. And so I feel like we're just seeing nothing but a series of amazing posters. There are so many one shots in this movie where you just go epic. It's just amazing the way they display almost like toys or models these creatures and that's what got me excited for this film i saw those trailers and i'm like good we're just gonna have punching because guys godzilla that's mainly what it should be about is monsters stepping on tanks and fighting other big monsters like that's all i want so i was excited and you're right Stuart. like again i think it looks ugly the way they presented it on screen and maybe if i was watching this in a theater on imax you know things when they're blown up that big sometimes look better watching it on my television i was not impressed with how this film look but it's great to see this fight and get to it pretty quickly here yeah i agree i'm excited to see some monsters beaten up on each other before we get into that we should just point out and again this is what i'm talking about mirroring before that fight begins we do get a family reunion as such up to this point you might feel like emma was just being held hostage sure she was turning on her little machine but it was against her will but there can be no doubt now when they're standing on this bridge the dad's on one end the mom's on the other the child has to choose who she's going to run to mama picks up the detonator and blows the ice and madison is going with her she agrees that the best thing to do is to release the monsters yeah, that was the moment that I didn't remember. I remembered this moment of her being exposed, but I didn't remember Madison like, yeah, I'm going with mom after that, especially since she was writing to her dad earlier. Yeah, she's supposed to be torn, but I think 
for whatever reason, you know, maybe Woody Allen versus Mia Farrow way or something. Mom has poisoned her to believe that dad will hurt her. That was the line that was said over the breakfast table. Like, if you trust him, he will hurt you. And they did cut out some flashbacks of the family. Maybe you don't need it. I think it's probably best that you don't go to Kramer versus Kramer <laughs> in a Godzilla movie. But they did show how the family used to interact with the son that died and how it kind of fell apart. Do either of you care about this little familial drama and the divorce and the daughter choosing which parent? Because this is the least interesting part of the movie for me. It feels perfunctionary. Like, we got to have some kind of human element. I don't know. I would have been okay with more mustache twirling. Like, again, eco-terrorist. This almost feels like something from G.I. Joe or something, which I'm totally cool with in a Godzilla film. I wish it leaned more into that. But no, I don't care about a Kramer versus Kramer story if that's what they wanted to do here. The thing is, because they're making the mother so wishy-washy that she'll be redeemed at the end, it's not even fun to see her have second thoughts about what she's doing. I wanted Charles Dance to take the lead and be like a Hans Gruber to this movie. Well, I don't know. I have many thoughts about it, starting with the fact that if you're a human in a Godzilla movie and you're not putting on a rubber suit, you're in a losing proposition anyway. We all know that what we're here for is the monsters and everything else is irrelevant. And so... That's the challenge of anybody trying to tackle this seriously. I would say that they've cast actors I respect. I would say that this family feels believably fraught with tension. I would say that it's kind of neat to see a human story mirror the monster story. Do I think that it is a movie that could stand alone if no Titans showed up? No, of course not. Obviously, it's backdrop. But I would say up to this point, it's smart. I would say the screenwriters have been smart about how much of it they've used. It's not overkill. This is a movie about world destruction, and I like what Mike and the Monarch team are doing. I like watching humans try to save Earth. I mean, think about Independence Day, where the humans, their primary mission is fighting off the aliens. And yes, there's a little bit of personal drama as the First Lady dies and as Will Smith gets engaged to a stripper. There's a lot. There's a lot of very corny, pulling-at-your-heartstrings melodrama. But I found that to be working better because of how it interacted with the aliens and the running from the aliens and things. And here, I find this a distraction. I would have preferred more military versus military, you know? To go back to the Cold War days, maybe instead of eco-terrorists, have the eco-terrorists be Russian. Just have somebody trying to stop Monarch in this super plane that they have that never runs out of fuel. It's an awesome plane, though. I love the look of their stealth bomber thing. Yeah, the Argo was obviously another toy they wanted to sell to kids of today. I don't know. I don't think it's as cool as the, what is that called? The helicarrier. It's no helicarrier, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, they want to give technology that gives human beings an ability to fight on this level. It was a mistake in 2014 just to have one little guy running around from falling concrete. That is not enough. You have to be able to do more than fire a machine gun at a 400-foot monster. So I actually would say, in looking at it again and having some time off, the calculation that I think is problematic 
It's okay we have this somber family. They're not a lot of fun. They're not terrible, but they're not a lot of fun. But neither was the family in 2014. And frankly, neither was Brie Larson and Tom Hiddleston and King Kong. It was the supporting characters that made Skull Island so much fun. We really had a good time because they had John C. Riley and his goofy backstory and relationship to the tribe and John Goodman and just some of the people that were going along on the mission brighten the mood. The problem with this movie is Ice Cube's kid and all of these military folk Thomas Middleditch and Bradley Whitford are supposed to be throwing out the zingers that offset the drama, but they're just not a big enough part or maybe good enough at it to really like make it balanced. Oh, I think Whitford's good enough at it. I just don't think they really give him a chance to do anything here. No, I like him. I do think he does bring levity and he is funny, but he's almost like the flight controller from the movie Airplane, because what he's doing is commenting on things without ever impacting things and making witty lines while everybody else around him is being super serious. But the one line I didn't buy him for is he's, he looks pretty old in this movie and, you know, they didn't dye his hair. Yeah, he still thinks he could have kids in this film. I mean, he can. Will he? (laughs) Not with a woman his age, though. No, no, he has to... (laughs) find a much younger wife specifically i feel like these grunts that they give some amount of screen time to again o'shea jackson he is the son of ice cube he was playing his father in the straight out of compton movie he was good at that too he's there with one of the stars of hamilton and yes my girls got super excited when lawrence showed up from hamilton (laughs) There's this bald woman. Again, you think, oh, these are the common man. Like, they'll be able to make this relatable to us. And they are so perfunctory. We needed the cast of last movie, Skull Island, to truly brighten the gloom. And in these hands, it remains fairly gloomy throughout. Which is okay when they're being melted. I will say that when the three heads finally rise and we see them get the electrical blasts and melt people, like, all of that is pretty fun. No, I definitely enjoy the monster bits of it. I don't really care or pay attention to which humans are being killed. No. I mean, even more so, like, when we get that ping, like everyone's, like, piled into one of the Ospreys, and we can't take off, and, oh, they're going to kill us, and we hear that ping, and here comes Godzilla. Again, it feels epic. Like, they've done all they could to build this up. They couldn't have hyped this better than how they've hyped this. So why aren't we jazzed when the fight happens? Why am I not calling this the best Godzilla movie ever made? The fight here is okay. That's the best I can give it. I'll be with Jacob. It is sometimes hard to find, but I'm excited that they bring Rodan out of it. You know, I'm like, I know Rodan and I don't know a lot about those early Godzilla films. Only what I can pull from the deep recesses of my memory from being much younger. So when Rodan versus Monster Zero versus Godzilla is all coming to a place, I'm like, this is going to be fun. And the CGI is good. So you are excited every time there's an action scene. I am having a strange distancing experience in which I call what I'm seeing some of the most spectacular posters ever to come to life. And yet I don't feel like it's a very good movie. I agree for the most part, Stuart. Like Rodan, 
I don't like Rodan. Like, that is one of my least favorite Godzilla monsters, because he's basically just a big pterodactyl. But I like what they did with him here, with the fire coming out of him because he rises out of a volcano. I just, I guess I just want more destruction. And yeah, we'll see some, but those original Godzilla films aren't afraid to just spend five minutes showing stuff get stepped on. And that's kind of what I want. And I, I think they're afraid of just, I don't know why anyone would in this day of age of Michael Bay would have problems just showing destruction. Like that obviously sells tickets for Transformers movies. Like do it here with Godzilla. That's what we want. And that is my frustration is we're getting all the monsters in this one. And I want to see some great destruction and I just never pays off. And let me clarify, the fights aren't exciting me, but they're pulling me out of the lull that the human drama was putting me in. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, because there is stuff happening with the humans. We have seen one of the main characters be smashed. Sally Hawkins was trying to... Is that why she disappeared from this movie? I noticed someone gets smashed. I didn't realize it was her. She's trying to lead Kyle Chandler out of the Osprey, and she's, you know, goes underfoot there. And uh, later, we're going to finally get a motive. Once everyone gets back up into the air, we're going to have Vera Farmiga phone in and explain why it is she believes that monsters are a good thing for Earth. They create balance. Yeah, again, if you're going to try to take this speech seriously, good luck. But I do love it for a Godzilla film. Like, oh, no, we need these monsters to restore balance because we're the infection. They're going to wipe out some of us and keep us in check. Like, perfect cartoon villainry for a Godzilla film. So is this the same argument as, like, we need to save the bees? Bees may sting us, but we need bees for the ecology? Yeah, this is every ecology's argument. Or is she saying that the monsters are going to take out a lot of humans and then we'll pollute less? Yeah, that is her argument. I don't get that she's pro-population depletion. I mean, she wants to restore balance. I think she's saying Earth is out of balance, that we're having too much of an effect on it. I mean, later on, we'll see that wherever these titans go, like, plants just pop out of the ground. Remember, she called humans a disease and that Earth is protecting itself from us. I don't see anything Monster Zero doing restoring the ozone layer. I see him <laughs> killing people. She did release Monster Zero, which is weird, but maybe she didn't know that he was from another planet. She doesn't, so she can be excused for that. She believes that these monsters keep us in check, but I don't believe it's by we're constantly being eaten by them and stomped on them. We will see later how civilization used to be. And maybe I saw too many bonus features, but to me, the utopia she was looking for, the coexistence between Titan and human was a long lost civilization under the water. Yeah, I, I don't think she wants us wiped out, but scaled back at least. But not by death, but by the fact that monsters in and of themselves are godly and can show us the way. Well, I took it that, like, these titans will, yeah, they'll take out some of us, and that's getting rid of some of the disease. Well, hold that thought. We've got to get there, and there's still some fighting to be had. We have a new enemy. The fourth wheel of this monster fight has got to erupt from a volcano. Yes, Rodan. I was excited. I remember him. I didn't remember he was a fire-breathing phoenix. No, this is new. <laughs> Usually he just, like, flaps his wings and it blows everything over. But no, now he's got, like, fire constantly, like, coming off of his wings, it feels like. Well, speaking of the wings, I love how he takes out the fighter planes. He just does a roll and they all die. And the one that ejects goes right in his mouth. That's fun. That was a fun scene, yeah. Yeah, he's actually got lava for blood. I learned oh. that from a bonus feature as well. They were really afraid it would look like the Mudo from last time. 
they really felt like that first thing that Godzilla fought was kind of generic. That's been my problem with Rodan since I first saw him, like, generic looking. Well, they tried to tweak that. They tried to take that Mudo and, yeah, give him a little bit more of a fiery, you know, Phoenix kind of quality to him. And, yeah, I feel like he has a good moment here taking out a fleet of jets. But I actually wrote down, Stuart, going back to, like, how do we feel about the interaction of soldiers and monsters? Like, why isn't that quite working for you? I actually wrote down, like, during this fight with Rodan, like, I don't care about the monarch soldiers. Like, if one popping off into Rodan's mouth when he ejects out of a plane, like, if that's there to go, yeah, that's a fun monster, you know, scene, then sure, that's working. But I don't care if any of them live die like i don't know would it be wrong to sci-fi this up a little bit more like the fact they just have these regular machine guns it's just bringing lasers or something again i want this a little bit more ridiculous at this point you've been fighting titans for five years step up your tech they pulled back from that there were designs that made it look like we were in ufos and even took technology from area 51 Hmm. it was this director that said no i want to i want to make it seem like something that we would have in 2019 and we get a little of it with the oxygen depletion bomb yeah but that's about it well here's the thing is like again this is where i think opportunity for comedy what's ice cube known for are we there yet movies where he's always, you know, is that what he's known for? I was going to say NWA, but <laughs> I've never seen a one of them, but I know that he does stuff with kids and all of that here. They're going to have a whole little thing where O'Shea is going to grab a kid and try to get in one of these Ospreys and try to meet the Argo ship. And can they get the bomb doors open? And I mean, they got all the elements They got child endangerment and, a guy making wisecracks and visual effects and what have you, but no laughter, right? Like, I feel like nothing is landing in the humor zone. No, no. no. And so this movie remains rigidly unentertained <laughs> by that whole notion. Yeah, it's just not pulling off in that way. And I didn't even recognize that that was Ice Cube Jr. there. I just, he doesn't make a big impact. There's a lot of grunts. He's in the whole thing, though. I mean, I think... Oh, yeah, I know. Again, you can remember all of the characters from Skull Island, even though most of them get eaten or or in the background. Why did I like them better, then? I guess because they were just better characters. They were better written and had a little more to do. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even say better characters. They're just better types. Again, stereotypes sometimes are the better way to go when you have a big cast and it's a natural disaster movie. Like, I don't need deep characters, but I I want solid types that I could understand very quickly. And yeah, bring some humor to it amongst all the chaos and none of that is happening. The way I visualize it is as uh, a scales. And like on one side, we have the drama. On one side, we have the comedy. And in that movie, if anything, the comedy outweighed the drama. And here, quite evidently, very little comedy. And the balance is completely thrown into drama, which is, again, I don't mind a more dramatic take on Godzilla, but I don't think they're pulling off a self-serious version of Godzilla. You want to honor the man in rubber suit origins and have fun, you know, wink at the audience. Like, I don't want him to burp when he eats something, but I, you know, I just, biting the head off Ghidorah is getting there, but not, not enough of it. That was going to be my example I cited. I don't think that ever happened in the old ones where you see that Ghidra is kind of like a Hydra, like that head's good. You're not going to get multiple heads growing back in place of that one, but I'm like, yes, Godzilla bit a head off, and then we're going to see a new head come out, and I love, like, there's an embryonic sack around it that one of the other heads rips off. So, yeah, it's there. Like, good first draft. Now let's develop that a bit more. 
More, please. I agree. I mean, I'm not torn up nor in suspense when Godzilla, you know, he gets his hits in but walks away battered and bruised. I'm not too concerned. Well, he walks away dead because the U.S. military, as it's wont to do, screws it all up. And in this case, we have David Strathairn, character actor, in No Man Land, of all things right now, but popping up in this as some kind of bloodthirsty general who's turned the oxygen destroyer from the 1954 movie into a missile that'll kill two miles of sea life. And so, I don't know why Ghidorah lives and Godzilla doesn't, well, Ghidorah is not from Earth, so he may not need oxygen. Ah, good point. You're right. That's exactly it. Anyway, the point is to show mankind is stupid, and they refuse to allow nature to do its thing. That, like, basically, if Godzilla had been left alone, he would have finished this dragon. He would have eaten all three heads. But because we had to interfere with our oxygen destroyer, we get a whole subplot about how do we bring Godzilla back to life. And meanwhile, we got Monster Zero. He's like striking a pose. Where's he at? Mexico? There's a giant cross? Because guys, King Ghidorah, he's a god. That's why you got that cross to tell you that. It's awesome. Come on. Stuart, I know I sound like I'm mocking it, but I do kind of love it. You do. You have to admit, just on a visual level, I hear you not admitting it, but. Oh, no, no. That that that's, That is a great poster. I agree. So many great posters in this movie. Just chock full of everything you ever wanted to see Godzilla characters look like and do. Yeah, Ghidorah with his wings spread out and that cross in the foreground. No, I agree. It's a great poster. Amazing. Amazing. Amazing visual for (laughs) three seconds. My problem is, is this is where he's making all the other Titans rise and we're going to go to Germany and we see a a mountain kind of move. I guess that's a monster. I'm not sure. Like at one point you see a giant mammoth, I think. And my wife is like, whoa, that's cool. Look at that thing. And that's how you should be when you see every giant Titan in this just blown away. And it is just seconds that you're given like we're told there's 17 titans rising up because of monster zero calling them give me at least 30 seconds for each monster just destroying something like give me that that is why we're here for king of the monsters we want to see the monsters and i'm so distracted because they keep talking about skull island (laughs) yes and that there's ruckus at skull island and they never show king kong I mean, if all the Mudos are escaping, what did Kong do? Where did he swim? (laughs) Again, we don't see 17, so maybe that's why we don't see them all, Jacob, is that we can keep that a mystery until next week. We all know what he was doing. That's a mistake. I don't know. I I mean, I feel like it's epic enough. I don't. I I hear you saying, give me more. What rose up in Germany? I don't know. It looks like a mountain star to stand up. I don't know what that monster is. Yeah, give me, again, king of the monsters. The ads, the trailers told me, guys, we realized we didn't have enough fighting, enough Godzilla in that first one. That's all this is going to be. And then, no, it's not going to be that. Well, it's more of that. It's headed in the right direction. You can at least give the movie this. It's better than 2014. To this point. Is it, though? I mean, we all recommended 2014. I mean, th- this is around the time I fell asleep. So, so really? it's engaged me to this point, <laughs> and That's all I can say. I don't like this family as much as I- I'd rather see Kick-Ass and Wanda running around. And Wanda was barely in that film. But I liked the military aspect that he's running around with the military. Really? 
I liked that it was one man's view from the war. It felt like a war film and it felt like a disaster film. Here, it feels a lot more comic booky and a bit more fun for that, but I can't say it's better. Okay, to me, it's an easy race. No matter what my misgivings are, and I think I'm airing them, there is something distanced. Again, something unemotional about this experience. I'm seeing all of this epicness, and yet my inner five-year-old Godzilla fan is, yeah, nodding off. And why is that? Yeah, that's not a good thing, right? That is bad. I don't know why that is, but I can definitely say that based on what I rewatched last year, yeah, that 2014 didn't even have that going for it. Yeah, but I still stayed engaged with that one for the most part. Again, there are huge lulls, and it's dropped in quality, in my opinion. It'd probably still get a very weak recommend from me, but it did drop. This one, though, I don't know. The frustration is you promised me something bigger. I'm not getting it. It's there. It's clearly there. It's name brand. It's not clear. I've I've stated that, Stuart. They got filters all over this thing. Name brand titans fighting each other more of the time rather than Godzilla versus some nothing mudo. Okay, we've seen Godzilla versus Monster Zero, which is cool if you're a big Godzilla fan because you know who Monster Zero is and that's exciting. And I agree, it's probably objectively a better design than that generic Muto from the original 2014 one. Not only that, but I mean, it's better than whatever King Kong fought in Skull Island. That was kind of a stupid Muto too. Yeah, but King Kong, like he was fighting giant octopuses and sucking that into his mouth. There's like lots of other stuff going on in that one. Just big visuals that I could clearly see. This one, again, I'm glad we got a fight with Monster Zero. That was fun. I'm glad I saw Mothra. She hasn't done much yet. But you're telling me there's 17 Titans and we're not going to show you any of them. We're going to see like two and a half. Yeah, I think we see a total of six. And only four get named, right? I mean, we get Mothra, Rodan... Monster Zero and Godzilla. Are there any other named ones? Any other? They have some names on computer screens. I don't know if they ever say them out loud. I don't know the name of Giant Spider, but he does come from the Toho universe. And Oh, yeah. And the Mastodon thing that I don't know what he is. I thought he was the mountain. I'm not sure. Yeah, I thought the Mastodon was from Wyoming. I thought that was kind of funny. They're like, we got one in Wyoming. Oh, you're right. Yeah, that might make sense. We also get the Shobijin princesses. You were saying how Mothra has the tiny little girls in the clam. Well, now they work for Monarch. We will find out that Dr. Eileen Chin has a twin sister who's watching Mothra Reborn, Dr. Ling, and their mothers and their grandmothers have been with Monarch this whole time. It feels like it's been more than two generations. There's like, I don't know, four or five sets of twins in that photo we see. Well, yeah, I think they have other sisters and maybe cousins (laughs) or something like that. But this was a nice callback. I thought the character was mostly useless. Zizi Yang has (laughs) done exactly one film where she mattered, Crouching Tiger, and nothing else. But uh, yeah, it was kind of funny that, again, if you think of this as a universe and not a standalone film, that they could play off of that in the future, bring Mothra back, since Mothra's not going to make it to the end of this movie. I will look forward to what Chin and Ling could be doing next week. Hopefully singing that dope-ass Mothra song that the twins do. Yeah, the Moth sings the song here, and it's also worth pointing out, Ling is with Dr. Houston Brooks, who is a returning character, played by a different actor, but if you remember the black guy in Skull Island that was looking for the hollow earth all the time, he is now being played by the guy who invented Skynet, Joe Morton. Oh. Oh, okay, this is the same character, all right. Yeah, he's gotten older, obviously, since that one took place during Nam. 
But this is where they start to really dig into the fact that Monster Zero is Ghidorah. I use those names interchangeably, but there's something to the fact that King Ghidorah is an alien, a Hydra, as it were, something not of this world, and therefore will never help this planet be reborn. If the whole point was just monsters will kill us, Ghidra is as good as any of them. But what Emma is getting at, and what the other scientists are trying to make the case for, is these monsters actually cultivate environmental responsibility. They make plants grow. They keep the ice frozen. Deserts don't expand. Yeah, Ghidorah just destroys. They talk about something, and it was really quick, and I hoped one of you caught it more, but they talk about how Monster Zero is changing the Earth. Like, he, because he's an alien, isn't doing what Emma thought the monsters would do. Yeah, I heard those words, and we'll see, like, lots of clouds swirl around him whenever he's doing stuff, so I guess stuff is changing, but I never see anyone, like, choking because there's no oxygen in the atmosphere or anything like that. I'm not sure what he will do except just destroy everyone. Yeah, he's reshaping the planet to his own liking, and he flies around in a Category 5 hurricane. So to me, that means he only destroys. He doesn't have any powers that influence the Earth to do something positive. Whereas the other ones, and again, you're right, Jacob, we didn't really see all the monsters to see what they're doing, but my presumption is maybe they leave flowers in their wake. You know, like maybe they do things to change Earth. Well, that's what we're showing. With the, the Mutos left flowers and vines in Vegas as they destroyed it. Yeah, at the end. And, and San Francisco, get the flower children back there, because I'm guessing it's covered in flowers. Right. So that is why we have the bad guy now. It's very clear that it's not about monsters attacking each other in the chaos and pick your favorite. There is one really bad influence that's telling all the other people to hurt their own planet. And we've got to knock him off the throne. King Ghidorah has to go down, and that means we got to revive Godzilla to do it, because Mothra ain't good enough. So how does this mirror what's going on with the family? Yeah, some of that got cut, but you, there are definitely scenes that pop up around this time and that were intended in which we see particularly Madison debating about who was right and who has the best philosophy. And again, they wanted to draw the parallel that there's an argument to be had. And again, Emma admits this is not what she wanted. By this point, she is saying, oh, I don't want to use my orca anymore. Or rather, I want to use the orca to have all these monsters stand down. We were supposed to raise them one by one, and now they're all up. And this is chaos, this is bad. And we see Charles Dance being evil brother Noomsi and saying, oh, I don't care, I just want everyone to die. So he's become the villain, just like Ghidorah has become the villain now. Okay. <laughs> I guess because Alan's arc doesn't close in this movie, and Ghidorah's does. Not necessarily. I mean, we'll talk about the Stinger, but they're both very much going to be a factor in the future. But getting to Godzilla, who's fallen, you talked about Mothra. We're finally going to hear that great Mothra song, except Mothra is the one singing it this time, not the little pixie twins. What is Mothra doing? Is she somehow trying to heal Godzilla over the ocean? He is sunk down after the oxygen destroyer bomb went off, but she's hovering there. It looks like some kind of beam is going down to him. Mm-hmm. I, yes. Some kind of something. I feel a lot like... Nothing in the extras to explain this? 
I mean, they probably tried. I mean, there's a lot of people in those extras pontificating, and I was incredulous sometimes with the statements they would make and the things that they would say about how <laughs> how we will all be feeling in these moments and all of that. Because again, feeling is my one and really only problem with this movie. Like, there's so much that they're doing right, but there is no feeling to it. And so, yes, what we're supposed to understand is that Mothra and Godzilla have an alliance. It will be, I think, Ice Cube's kid says they have a thing or something <laughs> like like she's Mrs. Jones or something. I mean, here is when Mothra is called Queen of the Monsters, and the title is telling us that Godzilla is the king. So they're an alliance. Yes, they have uh, some kind of... I don't know how a moth and a lizard gets it on, but there is something about their relationship that is, if nothing else, a wrestling tag team. They are going to be one side of it, and Rodan and Ghidorah are going to be on the other side of it. And so, for reasons, nothing about this plot totally makes sense to me, other than the fact that they know radiation gives Godzilla a boost— uh, we're going to have the scientists go down in the sub while the military is, I don't know, flying around D.C. because Ghidorah is making a nest there. I, I don't know. They had some <laughs> leftover footage of Washington destruction they wanted to use. How do you feel the resurrection of Godzilla? We got to use an atomic blast. We have this Japanese character who carries his father's watch that stopped when the atomic bomb was dropped. And now he's going to sacrifice himself with an atomic bomb to bring Godzilla back. I just, I don't know. It feels weird that this is what you're going to have your most prominent Japanese character do in this film. I had more problem, honestly, with Hollow Earth theory. Like, that was the one that was like... That you're going to get stuck on that with this film? Well, yeah, I'm against flat Earth theories. And like, I feel like... Promoting the idea that Earth has a hollow center where Godzilla lives is... Mm. <laughs> they set this up in Skull Island, though. Like They tried. I just... I mean, you're asking me, am I okay with this moment? I would say more or less yes. But the thing I'm more stuck on is the fact that, hey, who knew the Earth had this magical pocket? And suddenly we find out that long ago, but somehow ended up under the sea like Atlantis, but not Atlantis. Yeah, I thought it was supposed to be Atlantis. Maybe it is. You could go there. But that there was at some point a society where if you look at the paintings, and again, the bonus features will linger, you will see that monsters and humans walk side by side and... Sure, the monsters might like sunbathe and be fed grapes by the humans, but it's peaceful. It is not a world where monsters are antagonizing human beings. It is not about these monsters killing half of us off. It is about getting back to the idea that monsters representing both myth and nature put us in touch with our original selves. And in that Aftershocks comic, they got into that, too. Like, the reason Emma is able to come up with this Orca device or this proto one in the comic is because she reads these ancient... Apparently, there are some Phoenicians who landed, like, on a Japanese island and met Godzilla. Like, it's very weird the way they mix these ancient cultures. But the whole thing was, like, they somehow knew how to do these, like, beating of drums that would help get Godzilla going. And that's where she gets the idea of frequencies. But, yeah, it's something that I think is all over this monster universe. Just ancient civilizations, hollow earth. If it ends up being flat, whatever. Just give me some good fights. 
But it gets us back to the meaning of the name, right? Godzilla. The fact that these are the original gods, that they predate anything else. This is the first civilization, pre-Sumerian. That is a new concept. We've never seen that. Godzilla was born of the atomic bomb in almost any previous iteration. And here they're trying to say that Godzilla is our god. But Sirizawa, if God is dead, he's going to resurrect God with that atomic bomb. So I get that Godzilla gets juiced off radiation, Mm -hmm. but what about the actual explosion and the physical damage it causes? A nuclear bomb does more than just give off radiation. That's a dirty bomb. (laughs) Well, good thing it's in the hollow earth. Uh, I guess it'll stay trapped there in the core. Well, yeah, that was the whole plot of the 2014 Godzilla film, is they used the radiation from the bomb to attract the Budos, but then they were just going to use the blast. The actual power of the bomb, not the nuclear parks. That would give them more powers, I guess. Mm -hmm. Plus, you could always say the monster eats whatever is harmful for the environment. If, in fact, they are environmental protectors, I don't know how they could be cool with all of that radiation getting out into the sea life. Maybe that's what they'll do. They'll eat all the nuclear waste. Yeah, dig in. So that's, I think we're onto it. I think that's what they're trying to say here, but understating it. And that's... Frankly, probably a wise approach. If we had a lot of monologues, if they were Christopher Nolaning it and telling us exactly what these things were doing, we would probably be rolling our eyes. It's best to just imply their powers, imply their plots, and just keep it about the fights. Keep it about the epic scope. I think Sirizawa has to die. Maybe you think it's tasteless that it's a nuclear bomb and he's from Japanese culture. I kind of get that. Well, and that he has a tie to that blast, like the whole thing. They don't call it out in this one with the watch. I wouldn't have remembered what that watch was if I didn't rewatch the 2014 Godzilla. But like, that is his dad's watch that stopped at the time the bomb dropped. Mm. Thank you for telling me I had forgotten the whole backstory (laughs) of that watch. I'm like, it must be important, but I'm not going to rewatch that film again. So, okay. They wanted you to think about that and the fact that he is going to die like his father. The way I read it is simply this. They want to get rid of the old monarch people. They wanted to kill Sally Hawkins. Yeah, Hawkins is already out of the film. (laughs) Going forward, they don't want S.H.I.E.L.D. to be in charge of these monsters. They're thinking about a different way of using them in future movies. But they didn't have to bring them back to begin with. You could have just said, it's been five years, Monarch's under new management. I like that they bring them back, I guess, to kill them, because it does give a little bit of continuity to this monster-verse they're trying to create. And Dowardy just liked it. He said that was one of the things he liked about 2014. (laughs) He didn't say how much of 2014 he liked, but he said that was an element he wanted to retain. And so I think that he brought back the two actors that he liked. And, you know, I think what Sirozawa was trying to tell Mark Russell is, yes, you can have a bad personal history with these beasts, but let it go. Squash that beef. When Godzilla rises, I think we're to understand when they look at each other, Kyle Chandler and the beast, he's not going to be mad at him for killing his son, Andrew, anymore. Like, that's just old news. Yeah, did we know, because we see them calling out in the rubble at the very beginning, there was two giant monsters fighting. I guess they blamed both of them. The Mutos are dead, Godzilla's still living, so you transfer your anger to him. But I don't know, I guess there's still debate in this universe how good Godzilla is. That's why we're having the Senate hearings. But it does feel a little weird to blame the monster that came to stop the mass destruction. Yeah, I think Mark, that's why the family split. Mark went with the idea that they all have to be killed, and Emma said they all have to be resurrected and saved. So that that's sort of the rift in the family, the two theories on how to proceed. 
And then in the middle, Madison, she's about this time saying, it's time for me to make my mark. I am the star of Stranger Things, damn it. (laughs) Give me a storyline. I'm going to steal the orca and try to get this party started for the climax. Too little too late, I feel like. I would have enjoyed seeing her more active earlier. I agree. I mean, to get her to kick off Act 3, she's just been sidelined too much, and... I find it too convenient that they went to Boston, their home, where the military is doing this whole thing in Fenway Park. Yeah, and it's confusing, too, because they're from San Francisco, I thought, and now we're told there's a home in Boston. Yeah, they did want to go back to San Francisco. They wanted to keep mirroring this family and show it that it was a domestic fight, even though Ghidorah and Godzilla are not related. It's not from the same dinosaur bloodline, but... Too much overriding. I don't know. I kind of like that stuff sometimes. But Boston is not a city that I don't think we've ever seen besieged by kaiju. (laughs) And I never thought that I would. So I guess they got that going for them as they have this child racing into Fenway Park, blasting the signal that we now find out the mystery is solved. Although I'm I'm still a little scratching my head. Yeah, explain it to me, Stuart. (laughs) I cannot. The, the, The thing was... That they had to find out the core signal. What did Emma use as the baseline for her DJ monster mix? And it's a human being. Is it her? Is it Madison? I don't know that. I just, my takeaway was that it was a Muto, maybe Godzilla mixed with a human. That was the frequency. But what human would she have used? I just have to presume it's Madison. And maybe the good guys are able to track the signal to her. I don't know. It would be really nice if they explained that one. To know that it was her voice that soothed the monsters or something would have been a good thing to have. Yeah, because then you could have a scene where she stops a monster and it's tracks with her voice or something, like something awe-inspiring. Yeah, I agree. She definitely, I don't want to see her get into a jet. <laughs> I don't want to see her do kung fu. No. But I do want to see her do something here when Ghidorah flies into Fenway Park and, you know, we get some epic destruction, but... Her job is to look uh, aside, see Godzilla coming and go, you're in trouble now. You know, like that's basically what she signals to the bad guy. His goose is cooked because Godzilla is alive and juiced and like his skin is like turning into molten red. Like he's going to explode like a nuclear bomb. Yeah, there's 12 minutes till he goes thermonuclear. We're getting war games here. Thermonuclear war. Apparently, the director didn't say which one, but he said that if you look at that classic Godzilla series, there was an installment that they took this idea from, that Godzilla did go nuclear. I have no idea which one, maybe. I don't remember which one that is, no. I guess we're just going to regret continuously that we did not do the Godzilla (laughs) retrospective. And this is also where we get Mothra and Rodan back into the picture, too. Mothra has never had a stinger, by the way. Nope. But they wanted to have her give a death blow. You know, they really wanted it to be dramatic when she takes Rodan out. But does she kill Rodan? I thought I saw Rodan later. Yeah. You do. I don't know. (laughs) He just calms down, I guess. But... I'm watching this because I'm like, okay, I think most of the reason I recommended that 2014 film was because of that end fight. It's great. So I'm really watching this and I'm enjoying it, but I'm just, I'm not adrenalized by it. I'm not getting lost in this moment. I'm like, oh yeah, this is kind of fun, but I am still very detached and, and watching it from a distance. Agreed. Even in the climax, you would think by this point with Godzilla, like, The rematch. This is, you know, the part where everyone wants to cheer for Rocky. Yeah. And he gets some really good punches in here. But I just, I don't know. 
I'm at a loss to explain why this one is not my inner child's favorite Godzilla movie. And, like, we even see Mothra die. She's going to get, like, zapped by Ghidorah, and I guess her ashes are going to fall over Godzilla and, like, give him more power. But, like, I don't know. I'm not sad that Mothra's gone. Like, again, I wish I felt more about this film. Yeah, I agree completely. It's, like, I get that Mothra and Godzilla are the good ones and that Monster Zero is the bad one, but I'm wondering if it's because we're cutting too much to the family and we're just not able to enjoy... You know, in the Rocky movie, when we get to the final fight between Rocky and Apollo, or Rocky and Clubber, we don't cut in the middle to see Uncle Paulie having a fight with his wife. <laughs> you know, it's like you keep focused on the fight. Yeah, but I would say that all three in the MonsterVerse have a boring human center. Like, that is the center of the Tootsie Pop in Skull Island. It's also true in Godzilla 2014. There are always central characters that you just kind of go, meh. Then you know what else I wonder? Even though that they did go to motion capture, one thing about Kong Skull Island is that Kong had a lot of personality. Here, I think Monster Zero has the personality, you know, with the three heads and the fact that one grew back and they had to, like, pull off the placenta of the head or whatever. Godzilla is a cipher to me. I get he's here to protect us. <laughs> he should be called Monster Zero. He's got zero personality. Yeah, no, in the in some of the later Godzilla films in that Toho era, Godzilla will talk and have a conversation with some of the different monsters. Like, you know, they have like word actual word balloons come out on the screen. Like, I don't know if you have to go that far. But yeah, it's fun to see these monsters interacting and communicating somehow and coming up with a plan as they're fighting another giant monster. There's lots. I'm not saying they got to make it like those old ones, but there's lots of ideas, lots of ways this could have just been more fun. And look, that's what I want to have during this kind of film is fun. Mm -hmm. It's in short supply and it's kind of mystifying, but uh it should be, is I guess what I keep bumping my head up against is, why wouldn't I find what I'm seeing fun? It so clearly is designed to be, but maybe it is this family. I don't know. There's more mirroring here, just like Mothra sacrifices herself to make Godzilla stronger and win the day. We will see Emma, for reasons, decide that she just has to stay behind. She can't be redeemed for what she did. And so she's going to just stay on the ground, driving around with her orca machine, while daughter and father fly away and watch her get taken out. Did you guys understand that Godzilla wouldn't have won the fight without Mothra dust on him? Yeah. No, I, they already told us he was going thermal nuclear. Why did he need the dust? The special effects artists were going on and on about if when you look at his big energy blast, it comes out of him like moth wings. I noticed that, yeah. You're supposed to see that that's two titans together as one. But you're right. I already thought he had the thing handled by turning into a nuclear explosion. Yeah, that is the ticking clock. We have 12 minutes to evacuate the humans for Madison to get out of there and Mark so they don't die because he's just going to blow up Boston. It's all gone. Yeah, I kind of got it that Mothra was doing it. It felt like a little bit of a cheat to me that Godzilla is almost dead. Oh, let's nuke him and he's better. Godzilla is almost dead. Mothra will give him energy and he's better. Mm, once is good. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what? Mothra will be back. As you point out, Rodan is here in the final shots. I have a feeling that we'll get those twin scientists to sing a song and, and a new cocoon will pop out of somewhere. Mothra dying and being resurrected through a new egg is no stranger to the Godzilla franchise. <laughs> mm -hmm. The end battle is, again, pretty. 
you know, seeing them fight each other with the lasers and everything. And But Godzilla finally is unstoppable. He just, he finally puts the smack down. And when he steps on Monster Zero and that huge explosion happens, it's... Yeah, my favorite poster of the film, as you've been calling them, Stuart, with some of these frames is, yeah, when Godzilla, when he's down and he finally rises and just everything's melting around him, just brimming with nuclear energy, like that's a lot of fun. I kind of love the image, too, of him, you know, like, it's one thing to eat a Ghidorah head, it's another thing just to eat Ghidorah, it's like the whole damn thing. Try to come back from that. Yeah, I do love, like, he shoots one of his beams through the chewed-off head of Ghidorah, and it comes out of Ghidorah's mouth. (laughs) And then all the monsters just bow to him, which feels appropriate for a Godzilla film. Like, that would totally happen, one of those old Japanese ones. Like, it's kind of goofy, but I love it. Like, he is the king of the monsters, and they're literally going to bow to him. Yeah, it had been referred to as King Ghidorah from myth, and he was the false king. Like, this is the one true king. Sorry, Elvis, but it's Godzilla. Or Jesus. It should be Godzilla bearing that cross. It's cool, and yet it feels weirdly unfulfilling that Godzilla now has a posse. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, he's rolling with his homies. I'm curious how they're going to deal with this in the next one, where Godzilla has a gang of mudos that he can order around. I don't take it as that. Maybe you could be right. My presumption is... That those guys who had already been called off because the signal had been telling them to do that. That was the one thing that Madison had done was use the orca to try and tell them to stop breaking things. They were coming to take a look at the battle. Maybe they were even called to Boston. But in seeing Godzilla in his full glory, I'm not going to mess with that. Yeah, sure, dude. I don't know that they're his minions, but they weren't going to pick a fight. And as we see the credits go, not not only have they bowed, but they've returned to the earth. Everyone has gone back underground and flowers are blooming and ecological balance is being restored. They won't be there next week is my presumption. Maybe Ghidorah, because the final stinger is Charles Dance, Jonah. He has bartered with somebody and bought the remaining Ghidorah head. Yeah, is he going to clone that thing? What's he going to do? I feel like that might not come up next week. It's Kong versus Godzilla, right? Like, you don't throw in other monsters. Stuart, Stuart, Stuart. Batman v Superman. Was it really about Batman versus Superman, or was there a third person they had to team up against? That is my (laughs) prediction. There'll be at least three. I'm siding with Jacob. I think there's going to be more. I did find it clever, though, in the credits. Did you guys notice? It said under, like, the, all the actors, Godzilla himself, King Ghadira himself, Mothra himself. I did not see that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a cute little nod. Although the mocap a- actors must be a little miffed. <laughs> I'm sure they're one of the 2,000 names under effects artists. Hmm, sure. But for this week, did you have enough monsters? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Godzilla? King of the Monsters, Jacob. I had a lot of monsters. I don't know if I had enough, though, in this one. It, it, not in a satisfying way. And th- that is the weird thing about this film, as you've pointed out, Stuart, is that it's got a lot of things I like, but I never get into it. Like, you know, with 2014, that didn't have a whole lot of Godzilla action, but we hadn't had a Godzilla film for a while, and, and it was fun getting back into that. Now this is the sequel. The stakes are raised, and I want to have some fun. Like, I just want to see monsters punching each other. I talked about in my recommend for Skull Island that that's not a deep film. 
but it's a fun action film, like with monsters and soldiers shooting. And it's so weird that it's hard to pull an entertaining blockbuster film like that off. Like Michael Bay hasn't been able to do it with any of the Transformer films. Lots of big spectacles and fighting and explosions. And that's what I want out of this film. And yet it feels a little empty. Again, I talked about how I just don't like the look of it. That was probably part of it. And again, I might change my mind if I saw this on the IMAX screen or on a big movie theater screen where the pictures often look better than they do in in your home theater system. So maybe that's part of it, but I don't know. This is just missing something. There's something in this recipe that isn't there, whether it's fun little side characters that are humorous. And again, I don't need this to be a comedy, to be people in rubber suits fighting and just being a fun, campy old Godzilla film. Like, Shin Godzilla proves that I can enjoy a more serious Godzilla film where it has that human interaction stuff and it's gripping. This one, great spectaculars, but it's boring. I don't know how you do that. Like, I'm watching this final fight. I'm like, yeah, this is kind of fun. But, you know, like we do at the end of every show, would I recommend this? And I'm like, I just feel kind of empty about it. There is something missing with this film, whether it's a lightness that needs to be there, and I'm talking about because of the dark pictures, but just the lightness with some characters, more compelling human stuff. I don't know if that's the answer, but there's something not right with this formula. I just find it kind of lackluster, even though we have the biggest spectacles we have seen in a Godzilla film. So unfortunately, it's a week not recommend because I don't get excited about it. I don't think it's an exciting movie, and that's a big problem for Godzilla. Stuart. Yeah. No, if you had asked me back in May 2019, it would have been an easy not recommend. Like, flat, no problem walking out of it. Nope. Technically spectacular, emotionally hollow. I didn't like it. And I think I wasn't alone in that. I mean, I definitely felt like a lot of people were underwhelmed and it didn't get the box office that they were expecting. Now that I've had two years, some time off, I came back. How can that be? Like, it's kind of this weird optical illusion that now that I can look at this film and see how hard all the technicians are trying, how easily it's better than 2014, why isn't it working? They have name brand monsters. They have humans with cool tech that can actually fight back. They have actors that are better than Aaron (laughs) Taylor Johnson. Oh, how can that be? (laughs) A legit debate about ecology. All of this stuff, like... Why don't I feel about this the way that I did about Skull Island? And the thing I keep coming back to is, where's my Sam Jackson? Where's my John Goodman? Where's my John C. Riley? Those actors brought a lot of energy that matched the monsters. You liked the people as much as you liked Kong in Skull Island. Not to mention, I have more goodwill for Apocalypse now than Kramer versus Kramer. (laughs) But yeah, you look at Bradley Whitford, Thomas Middleditch, Ice Cube's son. They're not doing it. They don't have the ability to lift this lugubrious Godzilla so that it can attain the heights of Skull Island. And, you know, Godzilla should wink, you know? Like, I don't say I want a man in a rubber suit, but it was easier to see how much campy fun it was when that's your monster. I'm also just going to admit that I might be too old for this shit. (laughs) Not everything that I loved when I was a kid needs to come back and mean something to me as an adult. I mean, like, not everything can be Nolanized. I looked at my mom and she loved Howdy Doody growing up. Does she want a $200 million movie where they digitally wipe the marionette strings and talk about the plight of today's ranchers? I mean, wasn't that Toy Story? No, they don't want these things because that would be pretentious. And this movie is very pretentious. 
I am going to give King of the Monsters a green arrow, largely because I think it is a very well-made film that made many great choices with the property and had some spectacular posters. But I am doing so while fully admitting that that's my brain talking and not my heart. I don't care about this movie. It didn't move me in any way. It looked cool, but it did not have what I was looking for. And I I hope that this fun problem can be fixed for next week's cage match. Because right now, Kong is kicking Godzilla's ass, and that should not be. I'm a Godzilla fan, and it's clear that Skull Island is the much better film. Easily, yeah. Well, I agree with you, Stuart. When we walked out of there, we were both just blazing red arrows about this. We didn't talk about it that much, but we both vibed. You know, we knew we'd review it. Yeah. We thought a lot sooner than we did. But we knew that in watching it, it wasn't giving us what we wanted. And in re-watching it this time, I'll say I liked it better. Better than I remember. It's been a long time since I've been to theaters. I guess August, I did go during that brief period of openness. Going to Endgame seems like a lifetime ago, and this was around that same time. I just remembered the overall feeling. And watching it this time, I'm like, why was I so hard on this? Because I do like some of the Monster Mash stuff. I like it when Rodan goes up against Monster Zero to figure out, oh, crap, I'm his bitch. I like the three-headed Monster Zero biting into Godzilla. And I understand that this is not what a Godzilla film is, is 100% of this. You do always have the human stories. And there are Godzilla films, including that original, that I like very much. But what is it about this that's holding me back is the overall story is dumb, and while the fights look cool, I'm never into it. I'm actually rooting for Monster Zero because he's my favorite in this movie. I know I'm supposed to root for Godzilla, but he doesn't have the personality of Kong, like I said earlier. And because of that, I feel like the filmmakers are coming in with a presumed empathy for Godzilla. We came to see a Godzilla film, we should already be cheering because he's Godzilla. It never occurred to them that they'd have to win us over. Yeah, to me, he's just another Mudo. And yes, he's a Mudo trying to stop a Mudo that's obviously killing us, but he doesn't feel like the hero of the film to me. The hero of the film is Matt. That's a problem in a Godzilla film. So it's a weak not recommend. If you're looking for just seeing Godzilla blow shit up and fight other monsters, it delivers on that level. But it's not satisfying. You know, it's forgotten as soon as I walked out of the theater in 2019. It's going to be forgotten by the time I'm watching Godzilla vs. Kong, which can only be good for Godzilla vs. Kong, that I will have forgotten the first two Godzilla films, while I still remember Skull Island. There's really only one good film in the Monsterverse, and that is Skull Island. Yeah. And these other ones... I mean, again, that was my paradox. I was like, I'd like to not recommend this, but if I gave that first one a recommend, this is clearly better. I really feel like if I could go back in time, I'd flip my arrow on the first one. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's what I should do. Not recommend for the Godzilla ones and recommend for the Kong one. I don't know. Maybe that is more honest. But again, I think there are some great images in this. Like, that's what bolstered me was like, technically, that can really just grab you. I mean, it has some of the best visuals of any kaiju movie I can think of. Buy the calendar. Don't recommend the movie. Yeah. I could get behind that, but maybe they can fix the problem. Maybe Kong can teach Godzilla something about fun when they beat on each other next week. 
that trailer at least again fool me once shame on you fool me twice well maybe i'm gonna be fooled a third time here because i'm still excited for this one like when kong is jumping in the air and reflecting godzilla's blast and the city's got this neon background dang i want this film i'm excited again please don't let me down i can feel it the movie premieres tomorrow on hbo max and uh yeah i'll be there yeah, I might even go to theaters. I'm still excited for the Godzilla vs. Kong. I liked the last one, so let's see if they can beat it. But no matter what, kudos to Warner Brothers. Man, Universal would have rebooted this three <laughs> times for the Dark Universe. They just keep persevering over at Warner Brothers. We're going to shove this down your throat eventually. You'll like it. But thank you, listeners. And in the meantime, before we get to the Battle of the Titans... We're getting dirty. A different kind of dirty. <laughs> We're getting hairy. Yeah. Movie two for Clint Eastwood as the dirty Harry Callahan character, Magnum Force. This time, the problem is the cops. Motorcycle cops, to be specific, and everything's always better on a motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be your rule, Jacob. It is part of our Silver Level donation series, so if you want to hear all of our Dirty Harry reviews, it is just a donation of $10 that goes to support our show. We say $10 or more because every penny you donate goes to help keep now playing, reviewing about 104 movies a year. Always a free show every single Tuesday. Haven't missed putting out a free show on a Tuesday since 2010. So over a decade of having a show out every single Tuesday for free. It's not free for us to make. So if you can support our show, all of us greatly greatly appreciate it and we reward you with these bonus podcasts dirty harry's been a franchise i've hoped to get to for seven years of now playing so i'm excited we finally got a chance and i hope you can join us on friday to listen and jacob stewart thank you for joining me and until next time long live the king This alpha predator of yours, Doctor. Do you really think he has a chance? The arrogance of man is thinking nature is in our control. And not the other way around. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. Long live the king. Want more reviews like this one? In the archives section of NowPlayingPodcast.com, you'll find more than 1,000 in-depth movie reviews for every installment in the world's biggest film franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Star Wars, Spider-Man, Batman, X-Men, James Bond, Middle Earth, Jurassic Park, Fast and Furious, and Transformers. And come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next Tuesday for another all-new movie review podcast. You are going to come back to me. Need more Now Playing? Subscribe to our In Focus weekly newsletter for exclusive digital download giveaways, celebrity interviews, behind-the-scenes insights, and more. Sign up through the subscribe page on our website and get it delivered to your inbox every Friday. Why would they want just this one when they've got the keys to your entire magic kingdom of horrors back here? Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Come on, you're scaring me.
You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I still will be here tomorrow. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Look, this is what I do. This is my job. Associate produced by Jason Latham. This is my jaw supposed to drop. Now Playing is edited by Santiago and Arnie. Sleep or no sleep, I'm not missing this. Now Playing credits read by Brock. You ain't hear him, Griffin? Now Playing is not affiliated with the makers of this film. The movie and its characters are the property and trademark of its producing companies, and no infringement is intended. What are you you talking about? What does that mean? The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. You're lying. Because what's really happening is that you're hiding something out there. I'm right, aren't I? Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Go home to your family. Keep them safe. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. For the first half of this movie, when I watched it in theaters, I thought that was Peter from Office Space, the the <laughs> father from the first Conjuring film. And then I'm like, wait, no, that's not him. No, that is not Ron Livingston. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. I was like, I've never seen Office Space. I don't know who you're... What? Ron Livingston. Okay. Wow. Is it that shocking? Yes. It is. That is like a touchstone film. Like, wow. Okay.